prayer for illumination. Send your spirit among us, God, as we hear and meditate on your word. Move us to joy once again in the good news of the gospel. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, the reading today is Mark 8, 31 through 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. In the aftermath of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant explosion, there were three volunteers who put their lives on the line. Uh, they were attempting to prevent an even deadlier explosion. And at the expense of their own well-being, they risked immediate negative consequences. And even if they were to survive that mission, the effects of exposure to extreme nuclear radiation, the short-term and the slightly longer-term prospects for them were not pretty. But they sacrificed themselves for the sake of millions of other people. They were trying to prevent a blast that could have left much of Europe uninhabitable for hundreds of thousands of years. And we hear stories like this, stories of self-sacrifice where someone would put themselves in harm's way for the benefit of other people. Maybe it's a 9-11 rescuer after the terrorist attack running into a building to help save someone else. We hear many stories in history of sinking ships and someone giving up their life jacket or their spot on a lifeboat to help someone else on the boat. We even hear fictional tales of characters who put their lives on the line and put themselves in harm's way for the sake of another person. Good news for one person is potentially very bad news for another. John 15 verse 13 says, Great love is laying down your life for a friend. And in these examples, maybe laying down your life for a neighbor, a fellow passenger, or a complete stranger. The good news and the most selfless act that we know of, the ultimate story in our history, came on the cross. And for those who would recognize Jesus as their savior, life springs out of death. And uh, good news, as Jesus demonstrated for us, is something that is worth dying for. Jesus came, he died, he rose for our sins three days later, and he proved that death didn't have authority over him. But this was a point of much confusion for his disciples. As the time grew near for him to go to the cross, there was a disconnect between what their vision was of what the Messiah was to be 
and what God's plan was. The disciples were not confused about who Jesus was. In the two verses that precede the passage we just heard this morning, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter responds with, you are the Christ, the Messiah. That piece he got right. But the Messiah that he and many others had in mind was a conquering hero, was someone who would come and overthrow the Roman oppressors and would establish an earthly kingdom. But that was not in God's plan. God's plan for redeeming his people is reflected in the words of Jesus from the passage this morning. And he speaks very clearly. The passage says he speaks plainly about what was to come. He talks about betrayal. He talks about death. And not so subtly, he talks about a resurrection that is to come. This would be his act of sacrifice for all who would follow him. And again, not about earthly power, but about an eternal glory. And Peter doesn't like that plan. Peter goes to the one that he has just declared as the Messiah and tells him that's not how it's going to work. That's not his Messiah. That's not the long-awaited Savior of the chosen people. They assumed an earthly rescue and an earthly kingdom. So the disciples don't understand. They're standing there looking right at the good news himself, and the, ref uh, the good news that he's referencing to them sounds very much like bad news because there's a lot of loss. And Jesus tries to get that message across to them. He repeats it three times. We heard it in Mark chapter 8. He says it again in chapter 9, and he says it again in chapter 10. Mark 8:31. he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and after three days rise again. Mark 9, 31, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. And just in case they didn't get it the first two times, and they didn't, he said in Mark 10, 33, 34, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he would rise. And we know the story, so we know that there's a lot of not-so-subtle foreshadowing going on in the words that he's sharing with his, uh, with his disciples. Three times, he paints a very clear picture, and they don't understand because that's not the picture that they have of who the Messiah is to be. And after he speaks those words for a third time in Mark chapter 10, two of his disciples, James and John, come up to him, and they want to know how they can get a piece of that earthly power he's about to usher in. They still don't understand. They say, let us sit at your right hand, one of us, and the other at your left in glory, still thinking earthly reward and the power of an earthly kingdom. And Jesus shifts very quickly into something else. He starts talking about being a servant. He starts talking about the last being first. The suffering and the death that's going to come is going to be bad news for those who don't understand, because the good news is in the death and the resurrection. Jesus is about to conquer so much more than Rome. So what about us? What misconceptions do we have about who God is that might have us missing the message or might have us questioning his plan? Who do you say that God is? If you imagine him as a loving God who rains down gifts on those who would say yes to him, 
any loss or pain in your life is going to be very confusing. And if you don't understand the damaging effects that sin has had on our world and the restoration that we are still experiencing, when someone says, how can you believe in God when there's so much pain and evil in the world, you might start to question your faith. And if you believe him to be unknowable and he's just anxious to punish any misstep that you make, it's going to leave you paralyzed with fear. Like the disciples, we need to have a proper understanding of who God is. The plans that he has in motion to deliver us from ourselves and from our sin, and the steps that he's taking now to make all things new. If we don't, we, like Peter, might soon be challenging the one that we profess to believe in. The bad news is going to be a part of our earthly journey. Maybe you get passed up for a promotion, or your neighbor pulls up with a car you'll never be able to afford, or you go online and you see your friends or your family on a vacation that you'll never be able to experience, and you start to question what's fair. Or maybe you're enduring a, a personal battle with addiction or struggling with mental illness, or you're watching someone that you love suffer through sickness despite a strong faith in God, and you wonder if he even cares. When something goes sideways or when life seems upside down, when something's going on and there's just no good reason that you can see for it, your faith could waver. You could lose your trust or you may lack patience. You might question God's plan and prefer your vision for the now and your vision for the future. And if you happen to be struggling with something like that, don't beat yourself up too much because as we saw, even the disciples struggle to understand and Jesus was standing right there with them. Many followers of Jesus would lose hope in those days after his death. They were deflated because they thought he came to do one thing and then they watched him die on the cross. Interestingly enough, on the other side, some people's eyes were opened as they witnessed a crucifixion that they helped take part in and said, surely he was the son of God. While those who said that before the crucifixion we're confused by his death because God gives us all clarity in his timing. After the crucifixion, Jesus joins two men who are walking on the road to Emmaus and they're recounting the things that had happened in the previous three days. And they make a statement. They say, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Sometimes there's loss and there's confusion before you recognize the plan that God has in store for you. Sometimes you may look back on a, a strange and winding road and see the, the frustration that you experienced and the things that didn't make sense and maybe even smile at how God used those things to put you exactly where he wanted you. I was at a church in Iowa two years ago. They had a beautiful old building. They had a lot of history in that building. They were right next door to the college campus and the college students were coming, and it was the perfect spot with so many stories from their past in that building. And the building inspector came one day and said, you got to leave. They condemned the building. You need to be somewhere else. It's not safe for you to worship here anymore. So they reluctantly bought a plot of land way on the outskirts of town, far away from the college students, far away from the easy access of those kids who could just walk across the street and worship with them. And they were worried about the detriment that was to come to their church. And over the course of a number of years, because of the space that they have, 
They were able to grow like they had never grown before. All that history that they appreciated in that location they had right next to the college was actually holding them back because they weren't big enough for the growth that God had in mind for them. I've spoken to many people who have missed out on a job opportunity, the job they were sure that they were made for, the one that they had to have, and after a matter of time, came across something that was even better, something even better suited for them, and gave them an opportunity that they would not have had if they had landed that first job that they were sure that they wanted. Maybe a diagnosis that you receive opens the door for you to connect with someone else who's going through the same struggle. You have a a common pain that you can bond over, and it opens doors to have conversations about your faith and your God. I spoke with someone two weeks ago. We were talking about this strange COVID journey and the time at the beginning when we weren't sure exactly what was happening, what kind of risk we were in, but her husband had come back from somewhere and started to feel ill, and they were worried that he had contracted COVID. They brought him in. He went through the tests. He went through the scans, and their fears were realized. He did have COVID, but in that scan, they also found that he had a quickly developing cancer that was growing in his body. And had he not been diagnosed with COVID or gone in for those tests, they never would have found it. And he would have been quickly lost. She said with absolute certainty to me that COVID saved my husband. The bad news in these situations opens up the good news. So we've been taking our good news to the cross. And we've been writing down things that are good news in our life or things that we hope for uh, that might become good news. And what I'd like to encourage you to do this morning as you grab those slips and place them in the baskets is to write down a moment in your life where bad news became good news. Because those are good reminders for us that when there's loss and when there's pain in our life, that we can reflect on God's faithfulness. Because his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And his plans, so often though we don't realize it, are better than our plans. And if you don't have a story like that in mind from your own personal experience, maybe you're in a bad news moment right now. And you can write down your bad news and just the same, bring it to the cross and trust that God's going to see you through that. But human nature is to hold on to our plans. We like control, right? We want to be able to to control our own destiny. The rest of the passage this morning reminds us that we need to shift away from that, and we need to move towards the calling that God has for us. Talks about self-sacrifice. Talks about moving over from self-centeredness and embracing the path that God has and becoming a disciple. So who is a disciple and what does a disciple do? Verse 34, they deny themselves, and they take up that cross, whatever that burden may be, whatever understanding they have of it in the moment, and they follow him. Romans 12 verse 1 calls us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God. We love our neighbors as ourselves, and we commit to God and to his kingdom above all else. Verse 35, you want to save your life? Lay it down in front of God. Let the one who holds the past, the present, and the future determine your steps. I was given an example of of a prayer exercise that I'd like you to join me here this morning. Uh, They said, think about something that you're holding on too tightly. Do that with me here today and clench those fists, like really clench those fists. 
And I'll wait for a moment as you begin to feel that. Can you feel it in your forearms? Something that you are just not willing to let go of to God. Something that you need to control. And I continue to talk about it so you can feel it, right? You can feel it moving up your arms. And then let it go. And feel the release. And then he said, step three, turn those palms up and let him fill it with whatever he would choose to fill it with. Because we like to be in control. We like to grip. And we need to release. And God understands that that is a part of our human nature, to hold on and to want to take care of those things for ourselves. He says that in verse 36. He knows that there are times when we would much prefer worldly gains, and we will be tempted to chase after those things to the detriment of our very soul. He asks, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world if he forfeits his soul? Self-centeredness, my plans, quick fixes, and earthly gains, or living a life that he has designed for you in preparation for something much better, for something eternal. And Jesus modeled that for us. We follow his lead. We deny ourselves. We sacrifice what's best for us. We sacrifice what's most comfortable for us and what fits into our preferences of what we think should be. And we pick up whatever cross it is that we've been handed, even if we don't understand it, even if it includes some suffering, and we trust the bigger purposes of God. And we walk in the good news that is obedience. So there are pieces of Lent where we may participate in, where we give up something, some of our pleasures in a time of recognition and preparation that what Jesus did for us is enough. And we prepare ourselves to celebrate that Sunday resurrection that he foreshadowed to his disciples. But first, we often have to navigate the reality of the Friday sacrifice. If we don't understand the necessity of Jesus' death, the weight of our sin, and the need not just collectively, but personally, to address that, calling the day that Jesus died Good Friday is confusing, just as confusing as it was for his disciples. The freedom and the forgiveness of sins that are represented by the good news of Easter Sunday requires the sacrifice in the darkness of Good Friday. It's a pastor by the name of S.M. Lockridge, and he spoke to that in a popular Good Friday sermon. And I'm not going to try to duplicate his delivery, but I want to uh, share some of those words with you. In his sermon, he would share various examples of bad news. And then he would say the phrase, It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. The good news was on its way. So he says, Friday brings betrayal, struggle, crying, and denial, and then Sunday comes. On Friday, Jesus was mocked, he was beaten, he was crucified, and then Sunday comes. It looks like sin is the victor, and all hope is lost. He asked, does death and sin overcome the life and the light? And he ends with, the world is winning People are sinning and evil's grinning, but Sunday's coming. So we need to live in that confidence that our Savior, the Messiah, came uh, to do exactly what it is that he did. God's plans were fulfilled. And we celebrate the good news that is the cross, and the good news that is the empty tomb, and the grace and the forgiveness that conquered 
the bad news of Good Friday and allows us to live in the good news today. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the good news that is your death and resurrection. The sacrifice that you made on the cross, the plans that were in motion from the, the very time that sin entered this world. And we are frustrated at times with the bad news that we still see and feel in our own lives and in our neighborhoods and in our world. And it can be confusing and it can be frustrating. We don't like the loss. And we long for you to come and to make all things right. And I pray that we trust in the meantime that in the midst of the bad news, you are still the best news for us. Watch over us, draw us to you, keep us close to you. And as we continue to navigate this Lenten season, help us to consider both the bad news and the good news and how you draw life out of death. In your name we pray, amen.